Hello, and welcome to another episode of BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do, how they do it, how things are made, and uh, just anything else that might come up. I'm really excited to have on my friend, Jay Washington. I hope he's okay with me calling him my friend, but he's, he feels like a friend. Um, Jay is a comedian and a former professional wrestler. He's also an actor. You may have seen him on American Gigolo and Spike Lee's Chirac. I highly recommend following Jay on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. He is hysterical. You can find him at Mr. J, J-A-Y, Washington. I will also link to him in the show notes. We talk about him switching from wrestling to comedy, what that transition's been like for him, finding representation, managing representation. He also was kind enough to break down for me, and you, in fact, how comedians are paid on different shows because I think that's something people just don't understand. We talk about mental health and so much more. It was such a treat to have him on, and this is the second episode with a video. You can find me, Lene Cook, on YouTube and watch this interview as well as my interview with Annie Cruz. In fact, Annie and I met Jay on the same night at a WrestleMania event at the Comedy Store. This conversation was such a treat. I'm really excited to share it. And before we get into it, if you want to support this podcast, which I hope you do, you can go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast and support this podcast at just 99 cents a month. You have spent more on a phone charger. You can also use promo codes for services that I love and use frequently, including Hotel Tonight. You can use LCOOK61 when you sign up for Hotel Tonight. And the next time you're traveling, browse their rates, see if they're good. They're usually great and you will save on your hotel booking and then they will shoot me some credits, which are always appreciated. You can also go to the show notes and find my link to Rakuten, which I also just really, really like. Uh, They do cash back on a ton of purchases. I get a couple hundred dollars back every year. It's awesome. So just go to the show notes, click the link, and then when you're shopping for the stuff that you normally buy anyways, you can get cash back. That's enough promotion. Subscribe, rate, review. It really does help this podcast out and maybe someday even getting for real sponsors so I don't have to plug these promo codes. Enjoy the conversation. I'm very excited to have on Jay Washington. Jay is a comedian, a wrestler, an actor, and I only knew him as a comedian because we met in a in like the crossover of comedy and wrestling, and it didn't occur to me that he was a wrestler. Um, sure so when I found that out, I was like, I literally called you out of the blue, which is sort of a wild thing to do in 2023. Um, I told for- you, call me. <laughs> call me. But I called and I was like, you were a wrestler. You have to be on my podcast because um, I think that that's a pretty, I don't know. I think that's like an interesting career change, but it also makes sense to me because of the rhythm and the cadence of both sort of like performance sports. Um, It's very lateral. The movement was very lateral. Do you You find that people don't understand that? Like when you talk to them about it, are they like, what? How did that happen? Or do you find that people get it? It depends on who. I'm mm-hmm. talking to some people when I when I break it down, like we know professional wrestling is choreographed, right? There's mm-hmm. been no secret about it. So when I break down the me being able to memorize a match move by move to being able to remember a set joke by joke, mm-hmm. that's some of the similarities in regards to that. 
when it comes to working a crowd in pro wrestling, you're working a crowd in stand-up. When it comes to knowing when to take it home in pro wrestling, you know when to wrap it up and take it home in stand-up. And so a lot of the, and that's just some of the, the off the top of my head things. There's mm -hmm. so many similarities and don't, don't get me on the back end on the business side with shady promoters and productions and all <laughs> that. Don't, that. Those parallel too. I so, imagine. <laughs> yeah. So those businesses, they parallel each other. So when I talk to certain people, they get it when I'm able to break it down that way. Because the only, the only difference sometimes, and I have to use that term loosely sometimes, is the physicality. Because you know, you putting in work. I'm a high energy comedian on stage. So I'm moving around. I'm, I'm not jumping on the floor, but I'm giving energy out. So just mm -hmm. as much as I'm giving energy in a ring. So yeah, I might need a, a, a day of rest after a wrestling match, but I might need about 20 minutes by myself to catch my breath after some stand up. you know? <laughs> so there's so many similarities. Yeah. There, you know, and so, um, in fact, I usually end with like listener questions, but our dear friend, Annie Cruz, who you met her, hey, right? Annie. Hey, Annie. <laughs> yeah. She was just on the podcast a few episodes ago. Um, and I called her before this and I was like, do you remember Jay? And I, she was like, yeah. I was like, did you know she, he was a wrestler because she used to host a wrestling podcast with mm. Chris. Um, and she didn't know either. So, <laughs> she, <laughs> so, um, she said, her, okay, she has three questions, but I'm going to okay. start, I'm going to do them one by one so that we're not Perfect. answering them all at once. Why quit wrestling? So about nine years in, I had, a, I was trying to make a name for myself in Chicago. So as a bigger dude, I started taking more risk and doing more stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I would start taking more shots to the head to be for the pop, just taking things and doing stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I started working for a chiropractic company back in Chicago. We got free chiro services. And the first thing before you get anything chiro with this company was they give you x-rays. Mm -hmm. And so I will, I will never forget. I got my x-rays and it was a sister who was the chiropractor. Never forget because my chiro my x-rays came up and she was like, come in, Fussman. Come in. I was like, huh? She was like, look at this. I was like, what am I looking at? I was like, my neck looks good. She's like, your neck is supposed to bend like a backward C. Yours is almost going straight up and down. She said, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, you may need to stop or your vertebrae will mess around and fuse. So I didn't tell them that I was a pro wrestler, right? Why? I was like, all right, but luckily I hadn't got too, so bad to the point where I needed surgery. She was like, you are, you're almost at that cusp where you would, but you can do, there's certain physical therapy traits you can do to get the curve back and the bend. And it actually helped because it had me understand why my neck was hurting so much. Because mm. I was either doing stupid stuff or wrestling where I'm always like this on my computer. Or, I was on my computer a lot at work because the phones were, your phone wasn't a big thing at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right. But at the same time, when that happened, I started hitting open mics. So ah. I started hitting open mics. And so I had hit this crossroad where I was like, damn, my neck is starting to get messed up. And I got a, at the time, my son was like five, four or five like that, or five or six, something like that. And I was like, I want to be able to play with my son. Yeah. And so um, I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to see what happens. And then stand up started slowly offering more opportunities and mm -hmm. pro wrestling. I slowly started pulling back 
Yeah. I started pulling back from it. Now, I didn't tell a lot of my buddies at first why I was pulling back. I didn't tell them it was the next situation. They thought it was just me doing stand-up. Mm. But luckily, I said, now my neck is good. And, and then just stand-up started to happen more. And I just started being blessed with opportunities quicker in stand-up. And it was allowing me to travel. And yeah, wrestling was allowing me to travel. But I was making more traveling off stand-up than I was wrestling. So I was like, oh, I can get paid, paid for my jokes and not be in pain. Guess which right. one I'm going to lean towards. That seems very reasonable to me. Uh, mm -hmm. Because also with wrestling, I can only assume there's like, it's not just like in terms of prep and stuff, right? You are like choreographing. There's that preparation. Mm -hmm. um, you're picking out flashy outfits, I assume. No. no. So me... Let me tell you something. The, I wear all my t-shirts cut like this just because I got thick ass shoulders. But my t-shirts, I, I would always wear a t-shirt and shorts in the ring. I just always felt comfortable that way. Yeah. So I would have a pair of personalized shorts made and a t-shirt and I'd wear my wrestling boots and knee pads and all that. But I didn't have like flashy tights and all that because I just was like, I, I, was, I used to wear just a plain singlet. But I was like, I don't feel like being out here with my full dick print out. Like that was legit how I felt. I was like, I don't, I'm blessed, but I don't need everybody just staring at, like, I didn't want to, it's so weird to say, I was like, how won't you just stand in my dick while I'm in the ring? So I Well, it seems weird. very, I don't think that it's a weird to say, because that's like, you know, it's your own personal information. Like, that's like, like it's very violating. Like, so it was like, it was weird. It's so it was just, I started with the shirt. Unless you're the game, before. the game doesn't give a fuck. He'll just. Yeah. So the game <laughs> don't give a shit, but it was like, it was just, for me, it was just, it was, I became more comfortable with who I am because it was just, it was like me now. I like the character of the in-ring persona character was one thing, but I was able to be more comfortable with a shirt and shorts and move around and do different things. Definitely. And your wrestling name was Trauma. I looked that up. Oh, yeah, for a while I was the, I was the Urban Gladiator Trauma uh, mm -hmm. for my full time at first when I was doing it. And then when I stopped and then I came back, when I came back out here, when I was out here and I was not gonna wrestle, Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't, I had lost my boots in my old car. Mm -hmm. So once I lost my boots and all my old gear, I took that as a sign. I was done. Yeah. I took that as the universe taking it away from me. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't need it. And then one day, one of my buddies called me and he was like, we were talking. He was like, what's your address? And I was like, oh, the fuck? Why? Because he lives in <laughs> Texas. Like, the fuck? You're not coming on my Yeah, house. good sir. He was like, <laughs> he was like I'm going to send you something. I was like, all right. I had no idea what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. I got a package in the mail. I remember opening said package. In that package were my boots, were my new pair of boots. And I said to you, mother. <laughs> was, it wasn't my boots. It was a pair of old boots he had, which mm -hmm. now became my boots. But he was like, these are for you. And I was like, why would you do this? Because I know me. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. just sit there and let them sit. Once you have the option, it's one of those things. I get like that with, uh, with like, just painful sports. Yeah. Where I'm like, but it's here. Why would I not? Why would I not? You and know, so, to wait. And I found places to start training and taking bumps again. And I was like, all right, let me remember. My body had to start. My body had to remember that pain too, that initial pain. And it was like, all right, I'm getting my mechanics back. And then I had my first match, and I was like, I like this. Mm -hmm. I remember this. And then I had another match and I was like, 
how can I blend? Because now I'm out here for stand up and acting in Los Angeles. Right. How can I fit all this in? And then I started weaving all of it together. And right. I was like, what are we doing? I was doing, I've been doing it all. I was like, why, why is that? Have you thought about doing something that's like less, uh, you know, uh, injury prone, like jujitsu? No, because no. I feel like, because I feel like that required me to have to spend more time to learn jujitsu. It does. Yeah. And I will say I've avoided taking any classes where you have to wear the uniform because I'm like, I don't need one more thing of sports equipment in my car. You know, like I have enough floating around. So I'll only do the classes like the no gi classes where you don't have to have the uniform. But I I have found it just because I also, you know, I'm like, I'm not that smart. I can't risk concussions. Um, Look, I've had so many concussions and like so I've had so many mild concussions. Mm-hmm. I've had so, and I've had it to the point where like my memory sometimes is screwed. I'll admit. Yeah. So sometimes when I meet people and I'll probably remember and if I don't, they'll be like, you met me before. And I'm like, yo, blame my head, not my heart, literally, because I've been hitting the head with steel chairs. <laughs> and if they don't know that I was a pro wrestler, they're like, what the fuck you mean? You've been hit? I was like, it's a long story. Yeah, you're like, it and wasn't my I, parents. It was. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like my family was cracking me. And so it's just like don't get me wrong like now i'm slowly like i pulled pulled back i i called myself a retire retiring in october mm-hmm. and i just did a show a couple of weeks ago but it was a charity show mm-hmm. and it was only because like the charity i've done it before and you know they asked and i don't see myself unless unless something major comes up like a yeah. major opportunity i don't see myself putting these boots back on on a regular basis yeah it's too much and also okay so um I have one more well okay because I I also ask them all go ask because my brain I'm like but how does one become a professional wrestler like where does that even happen so back in the day uh back in the day it used to be almost like joining a fraternity Mm -hmm. where it was very secretive like a fight club situation you uh, not like fight club you'd have to find somebody like a bodybuilder in a gym who was already there and you'd have they'd have to trust you and they teach you, they tell you where to go and they teach you. Now wrestling schools are all around. Pro wrestling schools where they train you are openly oh. visible. You can just Google pro wrestling school and you can find so many now. The 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 thing is looking for those that are credible. Mm. And I say that because a lot of people just like it's like with any career, any facet, people can say they're acting coaches, they ain't never done shit. People, I know <laughs> some people, I know some people teach stand-up comedy classes. I'm like, how? You ain't funny. Like, what it? What, <laughs> They're like, what the math? <laughs> Here's math the math. Ain't math <laughs> the math ain't How are you teaching somebody to develop five minutes and you don't have three? What Isn't are we sad? doing? And so it's a matter of finding people who can teach you because, yes, there's so much of a spectacle, but the athleticism and also the safety, it's more, you know, that's the biggest thing in pro wrestling more than anything else that a lot of people don't consider. And it's safety from whether it's two or four participants in the ring mm-hmm. and even a third or fifth being the referee. You're making anything you're doing these crazy moves. You want to make sure both you and your opponent is safe. So if you're just not trained and trying to get in the ring and be like, you want to just do this. If you don't know the proper mechanics, you can kill somebody. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that is, uh, I, I did gymnastics as a kid and I also, mm. um, my grandma thought it was important for me cause she grew up in South America and had a horse when she was living there. 
And she thought it was important for me to get into horseback riding as a kid. So mm-hmm. like doing gymnastics and horseback riding, both of those were things where like safety is of the utmost importance. Yes. So like I take that very seriously. And when I'm in a pole dancing class and I can see girls that are like, you know, maybe taking a class that they're like not quite ready for. And I see their wrist placement or whatever they're doing. It takes all I have in me to not be like, teacher, teacher. Come fix yeah. this. I'm like, I can't watch. Like I've seen someone, you know, and this girl was practicing all of the safety precautions. It's just one of those things that when you're upside down, holding on by like your knee pit to something and you're moving, it's easy to forget track and like lose track of what you should be doing. And I watched a girl fall flat on her head, like, you know, like literally upside down. I watched her head bounce off the floor, blood go everywhere in a class. And it was on a day where I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to try this trick because I don't feel like my body is like in tune with stuff today. So I'm just going to play it safe. And I'm so glad because she did exactly what I worried I was going to do, which is just go to switch and not have that like, you know, pit grip before you let the knee grip go. And I was like, oh. God, it's like that with wrestling. Like some people will be like, like I, I remember having certain matches, and it'd be like smaller guys, mm. and they're like they'll try to call or do something, and I'll be like, no. Mm. They'll be like, but I know what I'm doing. No, yeah, because I a in my mind, it doesn't look right. You trying this with me? B, I'm not comfortable enough, and I don't know. You know, I'm not comfortable yeah. enough to try this. So if this goes wrong on any level. We can be hurt, you know, shit like that. And I'm always, even, like I said, even when I was t- doing shows recently, mm-hmm. to this, this charity show and going back to October, whatever, I was always like, yo, let me tell, I would, I would tell a lot of the guys this in the back. I said, do not take this the wrong way when I tell you this. I love this. I love this business. This business is the reason that I'm able to do the other businesses. However, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. So I'm going to protect my investment, which is me being able to go on stage, being able to go in front of cameras. Yeah. So I'm going to put, I'm going to perform. I'm going to put on a great match. Mm-hmm. But when you start asking me to do stupid shit because you want to try to get a highlight reel, get a highlight reel for your mama, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Do that with somebody else who's like as hungry as you are, but like. No, no it was just a young, you. it was younger guys, it was younger guys. And there's always these younger guys in the business yeah. that are trying to be flashy and shit to go viral. Nah, we good. Yeah. We good. No, thank you. It's just, yeah, the the cost is not worth like the risk with that one. Not so then, at all. Um, Frankie, or I'm sorry, Annie's other question was, uh, why comedy? Oh no, wait, wait, one more wrestling question, and then I'll ask you why comedy. Go she ahead. wanted to know what your she wanted to know what your finisher was. Uh, so it used to be a running Death Valley driver, basically, which is a fireman carry, run them, boom, drop them. Now it's a swinging swinging uranagi. I call it the welcome to Chirac. Catch them in a crossbody, swing them, lay out flat, boom, one, two, three. Which, that's beautiful. And can I just say that you were hysterical in Chirac? Uh, Thank you. I, I watched Thank your you. reel, and when you were telling them to think, and you went and smacked them on the back of the head, <laughs> I was like, I was like, was that a J choice or a direct choice? It was absolutely a J choice. Amazing. It was, ab- <laughs> look, it was. Ab- the way you went over the because we and keep the keep this in mind. That is the take that got made. We did that take. So that day, that night, mm-hmm. I got the crew in trouble so much wow. because Spike Lee, thank you, I'm so grateful for him, gave me carte blanche to have fun with my lines. Amazing. 
and he knew Wesley Snipes could crack jokes back. So mm. he knew as long as we got the gist, mm-hmm. he would let us go. So I was start- yes. So I would start saying crazy shit. And mm-hmm. it'd be points where the crew would start busting out laughing and Spike would be pissed. He was like, that was great, but I can't use it. <laughs> he was like, he got to the point, he had said, Jay, can you just bring it down? Because I was going so hard to just get reactions. But what a compliment. I know it was one of the greatest things ever. So when I did the scene where I'm tapping on dude's head, I was like, after I did the first time, I was like, are you good? You good? He was like, yeah. I was like, all right. Once he said <laughs> he was good, that gave me the, I'm going to do it again. I was like, I'm going to, so I like the fourth or fifth time, I was like, if you want me to stop, let me know. He was yeah. like, no, yeah. you good. Don't tell me I'm good. But keep thinking. All they want to <laughs> do is just thinking. When I saw that clip, I was like, this seems like it was a him choice. There's no way mm-hmm, that, that this was, was like written into the script. You know, yeah, that like, was a me choice. It's beautiful. That made me very happy for you. Thank so, you. um, when did you start acting? Like, have you taken acting classes? Like, what what's that journey been? Like, because you've been on American Gigolo, mm-hmm. you know, like you've been like having, you know, like those are both big shows. I never took acting classes. Never. Amazing. I did when I was I was a kid, and I used to be in all the high the grammar school plays. Mm-hmm. And I never did like drama in high school. So I never did that. But in grammar school, I was doing all the plays and I was typically the lead in a lot of things. And it was just because I have a personality naturally that just, that is, you know, that, that projects. And so I could take, I would do this thing when I would be in a play, I would learn the whole play. Every, I learned every word. Amazing. So when people would miss their, miss their lines, I could tell them because I knew what was coming up. Mm-hmm. Now I don't do that shit no more because scripts are way too long. Where to do you shit. think you got that work ethic? Like, are your parents like that? Are they very my, like go big or go home? So both of them unfortunately passed. My dad mm-hmm. and my mom. My dad passed. My dad passed when I was five. Uh, my mom passed a week after my twenty seventh birthday, which was a week after her fiftieth birthday. Wow. Uh, but they were my family on both sides are just hard workers. Mm-hmm. Just naturally, like there, my grandfather, my my dad's dad, he helped raise me as my father after my father died, and he was always working and busting his ass. And so that that hustle, that work, that work ethic from him, I always learned. My uncles, I watched them. My aunt was a hustler. My aunt could hustle. I watched her hustle, dudes, and I would never, I never fully understood it, but I watched it. My uh-huh. aunt was a hustler, so I got it all from my family. And then the South Side of Chicago taught me a lot of just how to be, if you want something, take your ass out there and go get it. And shit going right. to be handed to you. And if it's handed to you, you're not going to like it. If it's just handed to you and you didn't earn it, you're mm. not going to feel right about it. Well, and for some people, they do. You know what I'm saying? Some people, they feel great about it. For me, I've never felt, I feel like if you hand me something, I've had to done something to earn it where I might've forgotten about it or it's not at the forefront, but I don't want you to just hand it. Yo, you get this. Like, ah, it feels icky to me. So, so I never took acting classes. So like I said, I went from doing plays and stuff in grammar school to being the funny kid and getting in trouble in high school to acting right after high school, becoming a pro wrestler and learning how to be in front of crowds. Mm-hmm. You know, I went from being in front of 30 to 50 people to 300 to 3000 at times. 
and being working crowds and being on the microphone. I remember the, I was in front of 3,000 people and we were cutting a promo in the middle of this one big show called Battle of the Belts for Windy City Pro Wrestling. And I was part of all these fact, these four factions and everybody was yelling. And again, wasn't supposed to happen. This was never supposed to happen. The owner of the company, he was one of these, like the Vince McMahon type dude, because there's always an owner who has to be in the forefront. And so he was yelling about something. I snatched the mic, was like, yo, shut up before you have a stroke. Look. And then started running down everybody. And I, everybody was fighting to hold back laughs because I was burning everybody down. And then gave the mic back to my manager at the time. And they were, and when we got to the back, everybody was like, where the fuck did that come from? I was like, y'all never gave me the mic. You'd have been found out. And so I'm always like that. And so my work ethic, even on top of that, when I could talk then and now, look, I ask my friends who know me, they, they'll they tell you, he gonna drop dead because he don't stop. Mm-hmm. And they say it with love because every night I'm trying to, I'm always having to work because again, I always want to earn stuff. And it's not just the fact that I'm a dad, you know, to make sure my kids have. It's, yo, I have to work. I have mm-hmm. to work. If I don't work, this does not happen. Yes, it's a possibility things could be happening and could be, again, handed to me. But my mindset is, if I don't work, this doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. And with that, how have you found a balance of, like, being there for your kids and being on the road and all of that? Do you have you have one kid or more? Two. I have Two. a son and, my, okay. son and daughter. So my son is by my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Me and her got married, and that probably was the worst decision for both of us. We were good when we were just boyfriend and girlfriend, got married. Shit went downhill. <laughs> uh so my son, my oldest son, he's 19. He's a freshman. Well, he's a sophomore in college now. He's with, he lives out there in Indianapolis with her. My daughter is by my ex-girlfriend, who was my ex-fiance. We broke up and she's in Tacoma, Washington. She's nine. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing them f- in person sometimes gets difficult because flights are super expensive and stupid. Yeah. And I have been able to, I will manipulate my schedule for them always uh, because they're important. My, my son has a better understanding of what dad does because he's older he gets it yeah my daughter she kind of gets it but she doesn't get my daughter's thing is my dad's on youtube and he cusses a lot and she don't like that that's literally what she told me she said i won't i can't watch you on youtube dad you cuss i said baby you're right i said baby you're right (laughs) i said you know look you're right like to her and my son dad on tv which is oh god it irks it's not supposed to irk me, but they don't give a shit. They don't care. I am I am a G-list celebrity. Y'all gonna respect me. And they don't. My son's graduation. Let me tell you this real quick. So I, I went into town in Indiana. So I was gonna be there for my son's graduation. I mean, mm-hmm. no matter what. So the day of the graduation, we were at his house and we all had to go to the, the, the theater where they were having the graduation. So his mom drove. So his mom, me and my son got out the car because my son had to go walk over and hurry up and check in. His mom was going to go park the car. I was like, I'm not sitting in this car with your mama. My brain can't take this. So let me out. <laughs> let me out. So I'm going to walk over to where my son went. I'm walking. I'm just walking normally. A group of his friends who are fans of mine saw me and literally went, oh, my God, it's you. I said, no, we are not about to do this. No, this is not about me. Don't do this. I said, this is not about me. This is about y'all. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, it's, and then so my son came out and they were like, Jalen, it's him. He's he's like, yeah, I told y'all that's my pops. Ugh. That's how my son is. That's how my son is. I told y'all that's my pops. Ugh. But the balance. Can you blame them? No, not at all. But the balance comes <laughs> in knowing that I have to, you know, no matter what I'm do, I always say this, I do everything I do for them primarily. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a bit for me. And when I say a bit, just a bit, but everything is to make sure if they call me at any point in time and need some, which they do, both of them mm-hmm. will call me just randomly. My son will call me. My daughter just now started realizing she can call me instead of having a mama do it. And so when they need something, I will give my last because you all deserve it. And so the balance becomes is just reminding you got to be there for them, but then you got to be there for yourself. And then it's like just trying to have a life, which people are thinking, yo, you live a great life. I'm like, my life is all work. You mm-hmm. know, I would love to have this. I tell people all the time, I would love to have this immaculate balance of being a father, the workhorse that I am, and even a relationship. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and to have all that, because I know I can make time for what I want to make time for. But until the relationship thing comes, I'm just working my ass off. And do I try to take time to take a break? Yes. Do I feel guilty every time I do it? Absolutely. I beat myself up when I take a break. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm going, I go crazy because I'm so used to working yeah. somehow, some way, whether I'm doing this podcast with you, whether I'm doing my own podcast, whether I'm I'm acting, which ain't happening much, whether I'm on stage or wh- whatever, I'm always so used to go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, when I'm not doing, I'm like, something's wrong with me. When I have a day off, I lose it because I'm like, I'm failing. My schedule is not full. Yeah. And people I'd say, yo, you need to chill. You, you're okay. Well, I don't know if it's that, because, you know, I used to experience the same thing and I traveled a lot for work for a while mm-hmm. and I found, and luckily, you know, quite a few of my friends are touring, touring musicians and touring comedians. So even though I wasn't traveling a lot in like a performance capacity, there is mm-hmm. sort of that shared experience of like, you're traveling and why is everything great when you're traveling? And then you get home and all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's like this, like, oh shit moment of like Mm -hmm. you know like I remember literally sitting there going like what do I like like what do I think is fun like I don't you know like I would google what do happy people do because (laughs) I was like what are things that happy people like to do um and a friend of mine who uh was here well in the U.S. on tour from Australia Mm. Bless him. What a lovely man. His name's uh, Motez. He's a great uh, like DJ producer. Like, uh, But he was in Seattle and we had dinner and then I went home and I like put the key in my apartment and upon insertion, I just started weeping. And then I just couldn't stop crying all day and I had a flight out the next morning and he and I were at the airport at the same time and he like sort of like was like, hey, just come hang out with me and my tour manager. So I went and we had just like a really good conversation. And he basically helped me realize that like, that when you're used to that and for you in a performance capacity, whether it's comedy or you're on set acting, then when you you do have that gap, it's also like a huge drop in serotonin from that, like I'm on to like, and so I've had to go like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to like now in my head in the same way that like 
you know, if you're doing something like camping, which I don't do. Um, but if I were, <laughs> I've realized. Yeah, for camping, you get me out in the woods, we good. And like, there's a reason there's cities. Um, but like you have, like, I've realized, oh, for me, I know I have to think of it as like, it's not just that I'm home. It's that like, oh, I need to have something that makes me look forward to having a day off to look forward to. So I'm not just sitting there with an abyss of nothingness mm-hmm. and go like, oh, who's like a friend I've been wanting to hang out with that isn't work related, you know, or like, what's something fun that I want to do? That's not whatever. Cause otherwise it is easy for me to feel like, what am I doing? Oh my gosh, shouldn't I be, you know, like it's easy for me to get in that loop. And I think it's, um, you know, it's obviously just not healthy for our nervous systems to be in that constant, like, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that's the true thing because I think for me, when you just said one thing, I, my brain just was like, I don't think you have that. I don't think I have any friends out here that mm-hmm. are non-work related. Everyone I've yeah. met and everyone I've interacted mm-hmm. with that I've become either cool with, associated with, friends with, whatever level we go, has all been work related, and it's because everywhere the odds of again this is los angeles so the odds of meeting people who aren't work related would 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 take to be out of a in a whole different environment that i'm you know i'm not used to and it's like i would have to go into a whole other part of la just to be going not for any reason you know what i'm saying not like i go down i go somewhere somebody's birthday party or get together something but it's all somebody in stand-up now yes i might meet people through their different things, but it's always somehow work connected it. I, damn, I just realized that. But I do, I will say, I have hung out at times where I have to force myself not to think about work with work-related people. Cause they're like, cause some some people have learned how to do that, but I don't think they're as obsessed with work as I am, which I get it. I've said the word obsessed, but it's, it's hard. Like when I was in Vegas, a couple weeks ago and that was my first ever mini vacation and mm. that was horrible because i ended up having a manic breakdown a manic mental breakdown and a whole bunch of shit because i was just like i'm not used to this yeah it, it's a um the idea of vacationing to me is like my own personal nightmare uh like the idea sounds horrible and i'm lucky to be in a relationship with somebody who's on the same page you know mm. like i'm very lucky in that way that like and i will say that like he also is really good about being like, oh yeah, we're going to like do this. But he, I could never, like I've tried to before date people that are like, we're just going to go to the beach. I'm like, and then what? Yeah. Like, why would I just go to like, the fuck? My brain can't process the idea. Like my sister's like that. Like we would go to the beach, but also she tans. So like, and I, as you can see, do not, um, <laughs> <laughs> not what I'm cut out for. Um, but she would just lay out and I'd be like, well, I'm going to be body surfing. And I guess I'll bring like three books because I can't imagine just laying there. Like it makes me implode. Like I really can't do that. People, yeah, people, do people just like, yeah, I'm just going to go to sleep. What? Okay. Well, that I can do. I can sleep anywhere. It's anemia, no, baby. <laughs> well, I can, I think I can, no, no, I can. It's just the, if I go to sleep, it means I'm taking a nap for a second. Before I'm finna go do a bunch of shit. It isn't uh, just like you said, just go do nothing. When people are like, I'm doing nothing, nothing. Like those people are to me like, how? Yeah. 
I, I don't understand it either. I do have a list of movies that I will watch when I'm sick next time. You know, like that's sort of when I like mm-hmm. will enjoy a good movie. Um, you know, and I will like I'll watch movies with my boyfriend, but like left to my own devices. I'm like, for what? What do I need to watch a movie for? Um, Look, before we started this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't believe I'm going to openly admit this. Okay. Before we started this. So I have a thing where. I'm again, I'm always trying to do something. I put either old school cartoons on mm. or old school cartoon movies. So I was doing this. I'm about to, because I'm trying to, like, after we're done and I got to do something else, I'm going to go do laundry. So I'm getting my laundry together to think of ship in San Diego. I got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on in the background. The well, because one. it's the best. The very first one? Yes. It is a very, also, it's a very dark movie, but also the original <laughs> cartoon. The original comic book is dark, but that's a whole nother story. And so, I just, you know, I'm always doing, I always got to be something on. Yeah. No, I do nothing. No, me either. I struggle with it. It's something that I've kind of been like, oh, you know what? Having some room for your brain to like percolate on things is good, but I really do struggle with uh, nothingness as like a thing. And I will say also in your position, well, also this is why we're striking is because you probably wouldn't have to be working so hard if the shows and such that you've been on were being paid like network shows and not look they pulled american gigolo started on showtime it was a showtime was not a showtime streaming show was not a paramount plus show it was a regular cable show yeah after that of course it went to it went to paramount plus Mm -hmm. do you know you can't find american gigolo nowhere now i know because i tried today because I had watched it. This is the problem. They're pulling shows. They're yeah. they're trying to justify by pulling shows off. Yeah, it's wild. It's that's fucking crazy. It's also just so. As my friend Cherie said the other day, she called it. She saw what um who was it that did that Universal did the tree thing that tree yes. cutting. She called it cartoon villainry, and I was like, that's exactly what it is. Yes, um, it's cartoon villainry. Yeah. What was that next question too? Oh well, the next uh, well okay. Um, well, we'll get back to Annie's question now. She said, why comedy? Oh, yeah. I've always have been blessed with the gift to make people laugh. And that's just whether it be a regular conversation, you know, not even trying to. It's just who I am, naturally. I was never thinking about being a stand-up. Mm. Honestly, Never. In 2009, I would just, this is when like Facebook had like started to open up with people. I would just make funny statuses just to mm-hmm. make shit, just to whatever. It wasn't like a full, fully formed joke that was structured perfectly, blah, 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 blah. Just me talking. And I remember I met a, uh, there was a girl who was like, hey, have you ever thought about doing stand up? I was like, not really, not sure how I would get into a watch. She was like, because I think you'd be good at it. She was like, let's have a meeting because she had a production company at the time. She's like, let's have a meeting. And so we talked and she was like, yeah, I can get you to go to this one spot. It's a showcase, but you can do like your first five minutes there. I was like, five minutes, that's it? I got to write five minutes worth of jokes? That's easy, I can fucking do that. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. And my first time I ever did stand up, I killed. Cause I was like, I know how to be funny. I know how to tell funny, st- I know how to talk. I killed. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the worst thing that could have happened to me. Mm. You and a bunch of other happen. comedians. Yeah, tell everybody. Everybody's like, why would your first time killing be the worst thing? Because I got cocky too quick. Yeah, it sets you up for like a false. 
sort of sense of your own abilities and how the world works. Yeah, because then I went back the next week and wrote a whole nother five minutes and I bombed terribly. Mm. And I proceeded to bomb for a while. So I started chasing that high with that. But comedy has always afforded me the outlet of making people forget about their shit. Mm-hmm. I, I've always been this person, as even as a kid, where I've always just wanted to make people happy. I've always wanted people to be able to reach out, lean on me. Let, I've always felt that let me take your pain away type person. Mm-hmm. Let me help. Let me help alleviate that stress. I've always been that. My best friends since we were kids, whenever they would go through stuff, they would just call me, and I'd tell them call me. I've always been that person, and so stand up has allowed me these opportunities because I've had people who've come to me after shows. I remember I will never forget there was a woman who came to me after a show at the Laugh Factory Chicago and told me my son just died a week ago, and I did not want to come out my house. But you, I swear to God, you made me change everything, and I'm so glad I did. And all I could do was hug her yeah. because her son died. It was on my birth. Her son died on my birthday. So it was like, it was after my birthday. Yeah. And she just, she just like, thank you. And I've had people who said I've had the worst. Yeah. I've had people tell me they've had the worst days. They've been dealing with so much drama, so much stress, even in that day, but in that day leading up to the show Mm -hmm. and to just, you know, again, am I the greatest comedian in the world? Absolutely not. Do I have a claim to be? I absolutely won't, but I am blessed with an ability that is help people forget about their problems. And that's even when I go through a lot of stuff, I deal with a lot, especially I've been, I'm very open with my struggles with mental health, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I have to forego myself to go on stage to deliver this material and just make people laugh and forget. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, comedy has been this, I have been, a, I've been a, a voice for so many people to be able to just smile again. And that's why comedy is one of my greatest things to be able to do next to me and a dad, even though I can't make my kids laugh or shit. But that's a whole nother story. I'm sorry, I get mad. But no, but it's like comedy is just why it's just something that's I've always been in me because I've always wanted to make people smile and laugh. And I've never had to try really hard to do so. That's beautiful. And You know, you mentioned that like, um, you know, sort of like working through like foregoing, like you were saying, like working through your own um mental health issues when you go mm. when you're going up on stage right what is that like everyone has their own process of dealing with nerves or putting aside their day before they you know get in front of the camera or go on stage can you talk a little bit about like what your process is to like get in the zone in that mm. you know gap in between backstage and on stage i have to remember that yes it's me going on stage but it's also somebody else mm. and that somebody else has to show up Mm-hmm. there's there's a there's a jay washington's personal life and his professional life his professional life is on that stage so the mindset is you're here because a you have a talent b you have a job c you have a responsibility and so it is always in my mindset of these people have to laugh if if there's 20 people in the room as long as two laugh i'm good one or two laugh i'm good yeah. Everybody in the world is not going to like me. So for me, it's always just, I need to make people laugh. Now, it's I do this thing. I psych myself out. There, there's this mental thing I do every time. A lot of people, a lot of comics know me now to do this. Right before I go up, I always say to myself, or I say it out loud, so I was like, let me go up here and bomb real quick. They'd be like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go up here and bomb real quick. 
They're like, you're not finna. So I'm gonna go up here and bomb real fast. And so I'll go do my set and I'll come off. They'll be like, what the fuck did you, what are you talking about? You didn't bomb. I said, I know. I said, it's my mental psych out to myself. Because mm. now I tell myself I'm a bomb, I have nothing to lose on stage. I can just give it my all every single time. That's very true. And I can just give it my all. So it's like, I don't have to hold back. There's no hold back for anything. You know, now I can just go all in. And so when it comes to me, you know, remembering, look, I just went through a bad breakup about a couple months ago, about a month or so ago, that sent me on top of everything else I was going through, sent me into a, a de very depressive spiral. But mm -hmm. even throughout that, every single night, even while I was around this motherfucker, just weeping, <laughs> when I was around here, the sniffles, you know, this, I, I, let me say something, just for your listeners and viewers. Ladies, if you ever want to know if your man loves you, if he don't cry and his shoulders don't touch his ears, if he don't, <laughs> if you don't get that, dang love. You know, that's when you get that real nasty. <laughs> that's that love. <laughs> I was that night after night. Oh, and so, I'm so sad. I'm so sorry. You know, I was that way, but I had to remember, yo, I got a job to do. Yeah. And so, you know, remember, and I, I'm like I said, I'm a workaholic. I'm obsessed to working. I know I have a job. I have never called off a show unless the only day I ever called off from a show that I couldn't make was the day before, was two days before I had to have my tracheotomy when I almost died because I couldn't talk. Why do you have a tracheotomy? 2018, the week before the Super Bowl that year, uh, I remember taking an Uber home from the gym. And all of a sudden, I got this little twinge in my throat. It was a Prius, and it was an old Prius, and the radio was taped on with duct tape. I will never forget. And I remember going, <clears throat> shit, mm, what was that? All right, cool. So I was cool. That next day, I had to go tape something at Netflix. I put, I didn't feel good. My voice was scratchy. I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to drink coffee and tea all day. And I pushed through. Did it. I was in the Uber going back home. Passed out. Didn't feel good. That was a Friday. I was supposed to be at the Laugh Factory. I called Laugh Factory. like... I can't make it. I'm sick. Like, I literally lost my voice. Like, it kind of sounded like that, even worse. Mm -hmm. But I felt so bad. I finally, I took myself, I Ubered to the emergency room. Because I was like, this don't feel right. So they checked me. They said, you have pharyngitis. All right, cool. Here, take this prednisone. So I didn't take it. At, I was like, all right, cool. I took it. The next day, I felt worse. I didn't feel any better. I go back again. You also have laryngitis. Here, take this codeine cough syrup. All right, took it. I started feeling even so bad. I kept coughing up phlegm, but I could barely, I couldn't even swallow. My throat hurt so bad, I couldn't swallow water. And I remember reading a thing that said, a natural remedy, if your throat hurts bad, take a teaspoon of honey. I didn't know how bad things were going at that time for me. I took a teaspoon of honey and almost choked and suffocated myself to death in my kitchen. Luckily, I managed to get it down. So the night after at the Super Bowl or whatever, all that, I couldn't swallow water. I said, this is, I, I just kept coughing up phlegm. I couldn't lay down. I went back to the hospital for the third time. I told him, I said, do not send me home. First of all, first thing I said was they asked me, I walked up to the triage desk. My neck was inflamed, by the way. Let me make sure I clear this. I'm spinning up. My neck is inflamed like an angry cobra. My neck is swollen out. Oh my God. I'm struggling to cough and breathe and catch my breath. And I remember the triage nurse was like, what's wrong? It was a dude. Mm -hmm. Like, what's going on? I said, I feel like I can't breathe. He said, if you can talk, you can breathe. I said, bitch, I know the logistics, but I know what I feel like. Mm -hmm. So he started, you know what I'm saying, putting me to the back to get my vitals, whatever. God, God was so with me. There was a nurse who walked past, who looked, stopped, and was like, 
looked at my neck, said, nah, come here and put me in a room immediately and put me on oxygen. Called in the ear, nose and throat doctor, came in a couple hours later. She said, she looked at my throat. She said, okay, so we're going to have to intubate you. I was like, what? She's like, your epiglottis is closing. She said, if it closes, you'll die. Oh my and, God. And so then they took me in the operating, they took me in the operating room. They were getting ready to put the, I thought they were going through my nose at first or whatever. I thought they were going to put me under first to, to intubate me. Mm. They started trying to intubate me wide awake in my mouth, but they couldn't, my throat was so raw. So they realized they couldn't do it. So I'm sitting there trying to get this tube in and I'm gagging and shit and I'm screaming. The doctor was like, yo, I thought y'all said y'all was putting me under. She said, we can't put you under yet. She said, if we put you under, you're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. Because all the last thing my epiglottis needed was to relax. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So while I was wide awake, they intubated me through my nose, down my throat. Once I got the thing in, uh, I remember the anesthesiologist said, we're going to give you like 120 cc's of propofol. It's like, don't worry. That was the drug Michael Jackson had, and I passed out. Because they had to knock me out strong. Right. So, again, I'm asleep. All of a sudden, something tells my body, wake up. But I can't really move. I'm screaming, but I can't move. I start making the fingers wiggle on one hand. Mm -hmm. I I start to be... So when you wake up, one thing people don't pay attention to, the first thing you can do is hear. Yeah. You can hear before you can see. So I started hearing clearly. I remember hearing his fingers are moving. A doctor said, that's just nerves. It naturally happens. So, but I'm starting to get control of my body. I make a fist on my other hand. They was like, he's waking up. The problem was I was on the operating table with them in my throat. If I'd have woke up, I'd have jumped. Yeah, definitely. They put me back under quickly. Thank God. I remember when I finally woke up, I woke up, I didn't know what was happening. I was like, I didn't have nothing in my nose and my mouth, but mm-hmm. there was something in my neck. My neck was all this, and I couldn't, and I was chained to the, I was strapped to the bed. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I started trying to break the straps. I I was, I got almost close to breaking the straps. I I was strong then, but I'm nowhere strong as I am now. Because if I was, if I, if it was me now, because I was way just heavier. I wasn't even like I work out really. I was just big. Mm-hmm. But if it was me now, I'd have broke them straps easily. So I got close. They ran in. Mr. Washington, stop. I couldn't talk. I was like, give me something to write on. I said, what the fuck happened to me? They said, you had an abscess that ruptured in your throat that caused pus and air to go everywhere. We had to cut it to your lymph nodes and drain all of it out your neck and give you an emergency tracheotomy. The reason you are strapped down is because while you were asleep, you were pushing people off of you and trying to take the tube out while you were asleep. We couldn't hold, they were like, people were trying to hold your arms down and couldn't. Mm -hmm. Because even in my sleep, my fight or flight was so strong, I was fighting people off. My body was out here like, yo, protect him. Yeah. Had that. The doctors thought, they were like, we, they started putting antibiotics, they put a bunch of antibiotics in me or whatever. At one point they thought, oh, you're going to probably have to have a pick line, which they give to cancer patients. They mm-hmm. put a pick line in my arm for no fucking reason. 
Because they also was like, oh, you're probably going to have this trach in for a very long time. Again, mm -hmm. I'm writing. I said, no, I'm not because I need my voice. I'm, I need to talk. I said, if I had to, I will take this shit out myself. I wrote that. It scared the doctors because they started hearing the stories. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a week goes by. I finally get out the hospital. They take the bandage off. I put a, you know gauze over here. Once I start putting shit over here and closing it, my air starts coming back. I can talk slowly, but mm. I'm not supposed to be able to talk this fast. But I tell my doctor a little secret about me. And I know a lot of people are like, we're going to hear this. We're like, what the fuck do you think he is, Wolverine? I heal quick. Mm. They were like, no, you don't. You won't heal that quick. It's like, okay. Had to go back the next day for the checkup, after 24-hour checkup. I had bandages, clean thing. The doctor was like, how do you feel? I feel okay, just a little bit sore. She was like, what the fuck? I said, I told you. I heal quick. She looked at my throat. She was like, the back of your hole in your throat is already closing. Wow. I heal quick. So I say all of everything that happened. They say I had the abscess. But everything I went through, even being on a ventilator and all that, felt like the symptoms of somebody with COVID. Mm. I went through everything somebody with COVID goes through to when they get put on a ventilator. Yeah. The best part about being in the hospital was them trying to figure out who I was because I had a bunch of celebrities coming to visit me. I had a bunch of pretty motherfuckers and celebrities coming. So they were like, who is he? They were like, who Sorry, are I'm, hold on. I'm, I'm no, no worries. Now. No worries. They're like, they were all like, who are you? I'm just a regular dude. They were like, nah, that's not possible. One of my friends told them at the nurse's desk who I was, told them I was a comedian and an actor. Mm -hmm. They Googled me at the desk. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting special attention and a lot of attention from the nurses. If I need extra, if I need extra jello, I had a whole cabinet full of apple juices and everything. I was around this bitch living like a king. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, that's uh that's why I had, but that that also because the doctors told me if I did not come in a third time, I would have gone to sleep and died. That's so scary. I would have died in my sleep. That in itself terrified me because more than anything, my kids would have not known what happened to their dad. I was afraid of leaving them more than anything else. And now I cherish my life way more because it was almost taken away from me like that. And even going into the mental, I, I suffered from a lot of PTSD after it. Yeah, of I, I would I would have an itch in my throat. I freaked the fuck out. Yeah, I would you know I would go through so much. I I deal with my mental health battles, and a lot of times I've gone to the darkest of places almost. But I also remember I was almost there, whether it was without my own choice. Yeah, And so that's, you know, I deal that I talk about that a lot. And so that's why it goes back again, back to comedy. Why I do it. You know, there's nothing like a near death experience that wasn't your choice to make you go, oh, I do want to live. I guess I didn't realize it. <laughs> I was so out of it. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it, it's um, it's definitely a 
And, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand how much, uh, even when like we heal for something like from something like that, like physically, that it is still traumatizing. And I think a lot of mm. people who haven't been through a major health crisis like that, like they don't understand. I mean, even, you know, my grandma who, um, like she, I moved home to help take my dad take care of her a couple of years ago. And before she passed, she was so, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't realize how serious she was about not going to the hospital. Um, because she used to always, my grandma would make a joke out of everything. Yeah. So she would just say, well, cause she had five kids. So she'd say, no, I'm not going to the hospital. Every time I go to the hospital, they send me home with a new baby. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and so in her seventies, she'd be like, and I'm too old for that. I'm not going there. They're just going to send me home with another baby. I'm not going. Um, and then I got older and learned that there was some like family stuff, you know, that she'd seen, mm -hmm. like she'd seen her mom institutionalized for depression oh, wow. and like treated with electroshock therapy back in the day and stuff. So she had like a deep aversion to doctors, to hospitals, to all of it, you know? So it was really oh, important. God. Yeah. So, you know, but I think that kind of stuff, it makes you go like, oh shit, that's not just these stories that we hear, whatever. When you hear of somebody you know, getting in an accident, like people forget how traumatizing that is. And like, mm -hmm. I even, I've had my own stuff with that. And I still, it took me, there's like a five-year gap where I just didn't go in for a physical checkup, like until this year, because I had such a traumatizing experience and like yeah. that I was like, I'm not going back for what, what could they possibly help me with? <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right. I was like, yeah. I'm not, no, thank you. I yeah. would rather just wait it out at home and Google. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people that are like, I just don't do doctors. Right. And now I'm kind of like, okay, but you you know, I had a, um two, two, one friend and then someone who's like in my social circles, both pass within a month of each other this last year. And they were like around my age, like early thirties oh, no. and they, well, and it was like just sudden stuff. And I went like, what if yeah, I'm not just tired and I have cancer? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, it could be that I have the, a cancer and like these people, you know, were just living their lives, working on music, doing whatever. And they found out they had stage four leukemia and died two weeks later, you know, like, <laughs> like you know what? What? Yeah. So I was like, oh, put your fears aside, Lene. Just go and have your levels checked. My God. Um, And it turns out no cancer, just super anemic and very low on vitamin D. The doctors. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, it's very, and I've had, you know, I've lost friends to drug overdoses and, and suicide and a lot of other things, but having them die suddenly in their early thirties of natural causes, I was like, no, 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 no. We can't like, that's not okay. I mean, none of the rest are okay, but that one, I was like, that's something I could have checked. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're already paying for insurance, go get your annual checkup for free. <laughs> uh, so, um, Okay, I have more questions about your work and then Go I'll ahead. let you go because I know we've been at this for a while, so I'm sorry. Um, well, you have laundry yeah, in San Diego to drive to. You have stuff going on. Um, <laughs> but uh, how have you dealt with finding and changing and like how, it, what's your sort of experience with representation and finding good representation been like? Ooh, oh, there, here goes the good one. So... I was four. So when I moved out here in 2015, I visited first in January. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was like, because I was wanted to see if I would like LA to come out here and do it, blah, 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 blah. I remember there was an agent that followed me on Twitter at the time. She used mm -hmm. to work for this company called Elevate Talent. So mm -hmm. I reached out to her 
And she was like, are you LA based? I was like, no. She was like, well, I can't do anything until you LA based. Let me know when you move out here. Cool. So I had my agent in Chicago. When I moved out here, my agent in Chicago recommended me to a dude who was a, an agent. I moved out here December, 2015, getting ready to go into the new year in pilot season. Mm. I was in Chirac and one of the main characters in a movie. I said, yo, take some of this little moment. Cause again, the movie started being talked about. Take this momentum, let's make some things happen. Just give me auditions. You don't have to get me roles, get me in rooms. Just give me auditions. Let me do what I gotta do. Yeah. Dude didn't, I got not a single audition. I sent dude a nice long ass letter said, if you're not doing anything for me, I can do more for myself, we're good. So then I met another dude who I told my my manager, my agent in Chicago about that. He introduced me to another dude who's a manager. Mm-hmm. So dude is a manager for actors and stuff like that. And he was talking about all the stuff he can do when it comes to acting, this, that, and the third. I was like, well, right now, I don't know. I said, I said okay, cool. I said, but as a manager, what about stand-up? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't care about that. I said, well, clearly you don't care about me because that's, that's a, a ma- wild response. Yeah, I don't care about really stand-up. Okay, that's my career. Thanks for your time. Yeah. So then I emailed the agent from Twitter. Twitter. You know, the back, I'm out here now. So she was like, all right, well, let's have a seat. Let's just have a meeting. I went to her office in Valley Village. We we're supposed to talk for about an hour. We stayed talking for four and a half hours. She was like, so many people you've worked with have spoken so highly of you. So I had to see why do they love you so much? That's and beautiful. So, yeah. And she was like, I can get it. She has been my agent since then, and I love Kylie McKenzie to death. I've told Kylie, Kylie is the reason I've done so much stuff out here acting-wise, damn near everything I've done acting-wise out here. Mm-hmm. And it's a boutique agency. So, because this is, the story has this beautiful parts, but it also gets crazy. Kylie has done so much. At one point, I was like, yo, if the big agency want me, I don't want to leave for you. I don't want to leave you. I don't want to leave you. She said, if a big agency comes for you, I'm pushing you off. She said, I'm not going to let you stay. And it's been stunted. And I was like, okay. So they had a friend. He was rep by this one manager. And she was a hosting manager and stuff like that. I was hosting and I was trying to get a manager because I wanted somebody to help me with my stand-up career. There's so yeah. many doors I can't get in because I'm the talent. Yeah. Well, and for people who are listening who don't know, because I'm sure you know a lot of people listen from marketing and um, just different uh, yeah, worlds yeah. that I've been a part of. So- managers agents will like you know send you jobs to audition for managers will oversee like the progress of your career career and, and, be, you your direct, and be your direct voice and your advocate and voice in the room exactly yeah yes. so i just wanted to make that different you know differentiator so that people understand like managers are there to go like okay we're doing this but like we need to think about in five years from now and like in three years from yes. now and like you know, this job might not pay as well. So like neither of us are going to get that much money, but it really tees you up for success and puts you on these people's radar. So like managers will do that for you, which especially for somebody like Jay is really important when you do multiple, um, when you have like multiple crafts and talents that like your management recognizes that and goes great and doesn't, because a lot of managers um, will go, well, pick one. Yeah. And the thing is, I will I will never do that. I will be a multi-hyphenate because yeah. I'm that's who I am. Same. I am a multi-hyphenate. Yeah. And so my buddy, we we were doing the show together, this online show, 
and he had a manager. She was repping him, and she was like, "I met her because she would she was ho- she would host a hosting seminar boot camp for people who wanted to be able to be host on TV and podcasts mm-hmm. and radio, et cetera, et cetera." And at first, I was like, "I don't need this. I know what I'm doing because mm-hmm. I've been doing radio and everything. I'm like, I know what I'm doing." Yeah, he was like, "Nah, just do it." She said, "You can do it for free, just to see." Okay, cool, whatever. I'll I'll humor this. Excuse me. I did. It's a. It was Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Friday, I did it. Out the gate, she was like, "Oh, you know how to do this." Yes, I don't need a hosting boot camp for something I've been doing. Yeah. And I've been. And I know. And I know some people can do things and do them wrong. Let me rephrase it. I've been doing it and doing it well. Yeah, I've been successful at it. So then she was like, all right, cool. I want to take you on as a client. Perfect. Fine. Here's the thing. I'm a stand up. Mm-hmm. That is my biggest thing. Well, you know, I've kind of wanted to get into the realm of stand up. Cool. Perfect. Here are the things I want to be able to audition for or be in consideration for. I know some people, the connections to them, but me again, as the talent, I can't, they won't yeah. talk to me. Yeah. Which is so weird. So weird. So, because the thing is, I understand some talent can't conduct themselves professionally in a business environment. Yeah. The difference with me is I have a business degree also. So I know how to conduct myself in these matters. I know how to handle the logistics of basic things. And when it comes to contract, I can get an entertainment lawyer and call that a day. Yeah, definitely. So I would always ask her, yo, what about this thing with stand-up? Oh, well, I'm just waiting to hear back. Mm. hear back from who yeah okay so then I was booking things but I had to give her a percentage of the stuff I was booking but you got I mean none of this Kylie got me all this right but it doesn't matter Managers so then, always right take- doesn't manager yeah. yeah it doesn't matter what a manager for those listening your manager is going to get a cut no matter what yeah so when American Gigolo happened she was excited Oh, I bet she was. I I would also love getting paid for not working. She was excited. <laughs> I was at, I went from I went from a uh from a co-star to a recurring character on a TV show. Which is major. Co- because it it is confusing. The first time I heard that, I went, why would co-star not be bigger? You know, because it implies supporting actor. It can it, it implies <laughs> it, but it is not. But it is not co-star. Is, well, why don't you define the difference between co-star? Well, co-star there's like day is just player, like yeah, co-star, co-star is basically a day player. Right. It's just somebody they brought in for a little small role to fill in. You're co-starring yeah. now. What you want, if you're not a series regular, one of the main people, you want to be a guest star. Guest star is money. But if you can't be that, you want to be a recurring character. You want to keep popping up. So now you're attached to this project. People know this is what you're in. Mm-hmm. So when I started getting ready to do it, she was like, okay, cool. So what are we going to do about the checks? Let me send this nice little email to you. I do not need you. Yeah. No, we won't. I asked you, I asked you primarily, I get what your job is. I get you collect this fee, but I asked you about one particular element of my career. You don't do it. Cool. Thank you for your time. Best of luck in your future endeavors. Yeah. So last part, I've been at the, the Hollywood Improv. I've been, you know, working and the booker, she loves me. And she wanted to put together this showcase called The New Batch. It was a new batch of comics. There was the new next batch of comics coming out that that have potential to be superstars and great in this game. And I was fortunate enough to be one of those people in this thing. Now, when she booked the show, she told us there were going to be a bunch of industry reps there. Mm-hmm. I have done so many shows where I've been told there were going to be industry people yeah. there 
where no one is there. So yeah. now my mindset is always, ain't nobody here. Fuck it. Yeah. So the improv in Hollywood has two rooms, the main room and the lab, the smaller room. The mm -hmm. new batch show was in the lab. But here's the thing. I was hosting in the main room at the same time. Mm -hmm. So when I did, so I had to go up first out of nine comics on a new batch show. So I go up, hit it real quick, get to my laughs, do what I got to do. Boom. I start hosting the show in the main room. Now I'm running back and forth between comics to support the show, chill and everything. Both the shows happen to end at the same time. Thankfully, I go back in the lab to politics, shake hands, kids, babies, all that shit. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. One woman who was sitting next to the book all night. She's like, you were amazing. Said, Thank you you know what you're doing. You're good at this. I said, thank you. She was like, what do you want to do? Well, I want to tour. I want to be one of these draws for these festivals. I want to, you know, I want people to bring my name in when they do these festivals. I don't want to have to submit. I want to be one of the people they bring in, you yeah. know, things like that. I have a list of goals. She's like, okay. And she quoted back one of my jokes. Keep this in mind. I was the first comic out of nine. That's impressive. She quoted back a joke. So it's like, who are you? If I may ask. Oh, I'm an assistant with CAA mm. in the comedy department. Okay, cool. She was like, here's my car. Let's connect. So we connected on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Cool. Hey, pleasure meeting you. We'd love to talk one day. Boom. Waited a week. Hey, I'd love to have a general meeting with you whenever you got a chance. Whatever. See what happens. So we have a meeting on the phone. 20 minutes. She was like, what do you want to do? I had a whole list of everything prepared of what I want to do. This is what I can do. Okay, cool. Send me an email. I was like, can you send me all this stuff? Cool. So I was like, um, am I rep by CAA now? <laughs> but I wasn't officially rep by them. I was hip pocketed, which is the worst term ever in this industry. It, yeah, it's um, I will just simply call it. I'll, I'll just be like, could you pocket rep me? Because I yeah I hate the word hip pocketed. Yeah, can you just pocket rep me? So I'm like, cool. I got this. This should, this is gonna be the game changer that I need. Mm -hmm. Fast forward a couple of months, right after the New Year's. Hadn't heard from her a while. We would, we would check in with each other every week. I would check what to learn what I was doing, all these different things. Hadn't heard from her. Hey, what's going on? Well, I have to be honest. I, I got moved to another thing. I don't have the bandwidth right now. The agent who she was under, either he left the company and moved somewhere else, and she got put to the main agent of comedy at CAA, which mm -hmm. means she was dealing with bigger, high-profile clients. So right. she didn't have bandwidth. That was fine. Get it. Then told me, also, your TikTok numbers aren't high. Now... As a stand-up comedian who has been busting his ass for 13, 14 years, I understand that this social media wave is a thing. I get it. I know so many people right now who are amassing a great career based off of a, a blowing up on TikTok or whatever. But I hate that my career is stunted because I don't have a master. I can't control if I blow up off of TikTok. Well, I can and you don't want to be pandering to that. You don't want to be building your sets and your jokes and everything to be like, let me hit these, like, because that's not the way that art should be made. It's not right. like, where's the target? It's like, no, let me do my craft. So now I'm back to square one where it's just me on shows trying to get myself out. And it hurts a lot. It hurts because that is another part of the struggle. Look, I understand this entertainment game is never going to be easy, mm -hmm. but it is always, I think the hardest part for myself or anyone listening is when you seem like you are so fucking close, yet so far away. It is one of the weirdest things about this industry. And it it does bring me back to what we talked about earlier about when you were like, I realized that like you were saying that like you realized you didn't have friends outside of work because friends within this work get it. 
mm-hmm. you know? Um, I mean, it, to me, if they have crossed the, the threshold to then become a friend, I would not become friends with someone who doesn't get it, you know? Like, right. Absolutely. <laughs> like there's uh, whenever I meet other actors or whatever that like, we don't have similar priorities and values. I'm kind of like, okay, we'll enjoy your journey. Like, it's not that I dislike them yes. as a person. I'm like, I just don't need someone in my life who's sitting here, like strategizing their career in a way that I'm like, what if you just like got better at your job? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I don't fuck with that at all. Um, like, so, but it is hard because then when you have friends that like might have like a normal job, like they don't understand how our world works that like, because we might have booked, you know, in your case, American gigolo, that doesn't mean you're set for life, you know? Um, especially given the way that, um, like, well, literally the reason there's a strike right now, right. Is like, because that used to mean, Hey, I'm good for a few years and I can like keep working on my craft or whatever. And that's just not the way the cookie not at all. anymore. And it even, it's not even that out, out the gate. Cause now it's just, here's your little pay. And then right. it's like, you know, like the talk of residual streaming. Now we're on residuals. Now you're streaming. Uh, here's a residual check for seven cents. Yeah. I mean, we all saw Kamiko from Orange is the New Black. You saw what she posted, right? Yeah. The Orange is the New Black. And it came out to like $27 or something that's yeah. like that. And so I think it's hard for people because they're like, yeah, but you're living the dream. And you're like, mm, maybe I'm living your dream, but I have bigger dreams for myself. Yes. <laughs> and like, yes. and sometimes, you know, I, I, I imagine we have, both worked with people before that are further along in their careers on paper. And then you see what they're bringing into the room and you're like, ah, you're not off book. You have a bad attitude. You're not actually very good at your job. Just for some reason, you keep booking work. What Um, city are we talking about? Because that is a real thing. Which in a way gives me hope because as my mom so encouragingly often said to me growing up when I was experiencing self-doubt, she would say, Lene, dumber people have done it. Um, which is the truth when you think is. about it like dumber people have made this yeah it'll be okay it'll be um fine. it'll be fine um okay so well that being said uh okay i'm trying to think i feel like i had one more question percolating there is the same question i ask everyone at the end of the episode um okay you know what i have only had one stand-up comedian on here before um but it was a long time ago it was when i first started the podcast well mm-hmm. do you know jessica michelle singleton that's me. Well, same. So she was like on episode four or five of the podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing we didn't talk about, can you explain to people how stand-up comedians get paid? Oh, my Jesus. All right. (laughs) So when it comes to comedy clubs, comedy clubs, for the most part, have not changed the pay structure in decades. Mm -hmm. A feature comedian is the comedian that you'll see typically right before the headliner. They are probably making for the entire weekend of shows $500. If that the headliner comedian, depending on the club, sometimes, unless they're a major, major name is probably bringing in just $2,000 for the weekend, Mm. maybe three, maybe, you know, nothing major until they're a major name. Now there may be door deals where if you sell out X amount of shows and all these seats, you might get a bonus Mm -hmm. when it comes to comedy clubs in this, in Los Angeles, though, Los Angeles is what's considered a showcase town. So a lot of times you are supposed to be just happy to be performing because you're showcasing your talent. That is why a lot of shows, so like the comedy store, for instance, in the original room, the sets for the paid regulars there are $25. You do a spot in the belly room, you don't get paid pretty much. The belly room are always pretty much free shows unless it's something 
set with the independent producer because typically it's independently produced Un- shows. unpaid shows you mean right unpaid shows yeah yeah yes when it comes to like individual shows where there's a bar show somebody running a show somewhere and they ask you to do the show typically unless they say something about a pay there's no pay there's just here's this drink ticket now so much for sobriety so much for sobriety there are so many comedians who run shows too who use it as they know they can make money off of ticket sales and then screw over comedians. There are people who say, well, I got to make my money back first from all my overhead. Guess what? I technically, I don't have to give a shit about your overhead because yeah. you should have figured that out yourself. Right. It is difficult when you see comedians working, trying to make this money, when you see comedians putting on their own shows that are having ticket prices, it's because they have to make this ticket money because they're paying bills off of it. It is not... It is also until you get to be a bigger name in stand-up, you are supplementing stand-up income with other things, which is why people are multi-hyphenates. That is why you're doing acting. That is why you're doing podcasts. That is why you're hosting and et cetera, et cetera, because you're literally trying to make ends meet. Now, there are a lot of comedians out here who are fortunate enough to not have any other responsibilities but themselves. But there are some, even though they may not have children or have a lot of responsibilities that you do not see and know. They may be taking care of family members and close family members back home. They may be sending money to family members who may need it or close friends or whatever the case may be. Some comedy clubs will pay you $50 a set. Some will pay you $100 a set if you're hosting. Again, everybody doesn't want to host, but you're also going to be happy if you're hosting. You really run the risk of just only being able to do that one spot in a night because you're going to be there for almost two, two and a half hours. So if you see comedians bouncing around doing different spots, especially in Los Angeles and New York, because they're trying to do as many spots as they can to both A, get better on stage and B, make as much as they can because you got to keep trying to work and make a living wage. The pay in comedy has not increased, even though the ticket prices have increased immensely. Well, I was just at a club where the, t- the average ticket price for general admission is $25 a ticket. That is general admission. This club holds about 350 people. That is just the admission, not counting VIP, not counting drinks. So Thank clubs they always say that they cannot pay people, similar to the way studios say it, but they actually can it's very true. And um, thank you for that breakdown. And I, I asked that because I um, hadn't really ever gone to see comedy until mm-hmm. Jessica and I became friends. And then mm-hmm. I would go to her shows and I like didn't really understand how it worked. And I went with her to Edinburgh Fringe and I was like, this is wild. Y'all are doing so much. Um, and then I have since like now through different fr- group, fr- what is the word for it? Groups of friends. Um, mm-hmm. And just in like Jessica and whatever else, like made friends with a bunch of comedians. And I think people don't understand the hustle that comedians are having to do to make money. Um, And so thank you for breaking that down. And the last question I ask everybody is, what is something you would want to hear a future episode about of this podcast? Also, do you know the theme of my podcast? Behind the scenes? Yes. Okay. So it could be like a job. It could be like how something's made. It could be a specific person, any of these things. Set life, not filming. Mm, Like PAs? PAs. Yes, all that, because everybody thinks it's easy for, people don't talk about the grips, the gaffers, the best boys, the key grips, the lighters. Yeah. The behind the scenes, the real 
behind the scenes. I agree. You know, I, my, um, one of my dads is a, he was a caterer for a long time and he's a teamster. So mm. I grew up hearing all the stories, you know, cause he, when you have those kinds of jobs that are like literal behind the scenes, whether it's catering or crafty or grip, you do all kinds of movies. Whereas like actors and directors stick to like their genre, you know, yep. like Dick Wolf is just doing Dick Wolf productions. That is That's all it. that man is doing. But for catering, you know, it's like one week, like my dad, the first movie he was on was Dogma, uh, that Alanis Morissette movie back in the day. I, Dogma is one of my favorite movies. Well, I will not lie. That's beautiful. Um, that makes me very happy. I've actually never seen it because we weren't allowed to watch it because- It's, I, very, it's a very, it, it, it raised a lot of eyebrows because of its source material, what it's about. Yes. Alan Rickman very... as the Metatron is hilarious. You know what? Now that I know Alan Rickman's in it, maybe I will watch it. He um... is the Metatron, <laughs> the voice of God. That's amazing. Um, I did not realize that. But yeah, so like, it was like he worked on that and then like The Wood and High School High and, um, you know, like just a lot of different movies and TV shows. And then he worked on Hannibal and he was in Jacksonville for like eight months one year working on Hannibal. And so I think people don't realize, so when I hear other actors, like I have very little sympathy for actors, my fellow actors, and I'm sorry, but when I hear other actors go like, oh my gosh, I had to be here at 8 a.m. I'm like, do you understand that my dad was getting up at two o'clock in the morning, every morning, driving from Canyon Country to like Van Nuys to get the catering truck, and then driving to wherever this godforsaken set was, whether like it was in Long Beach or Pasadena yeah. or wherever, setting up feeding all of the other like crew members before actors have shown up. Like I think actors look at their call sheet and just look at themselves and don't bother to go like, Oh, there's a whole other meal served before I even arrive. Like people have been here for five to eight hours. I have, I'm always this person. I've always been thankful and grateful to every member of staff. Yes. And I say that as whenever you're on a project and you got a trailer, your principal, they're always going to sign a PA to you. Right. To make sure your PA gets any and everything you need. And I'm always, as best as I can, be like, yo, just show me where to go. Yeah, I always, exactly. Because I, I know you got a bunch of other stuff to do. Yes. And I do not need you running, doing small shit for me. And I'm not dumb. Like, neither of us are dumb. We both have the, the savvy to send an email, read a call sheet, pay yes. attention to what's being shot. And I wish more people had life administration skills like this and, like, basic understanding that they're not the center of the world but then again if they had that understanding they may not have become actors um <laughs> um thank you so much for being on jay where should people find you on the instagram and tiktok and twitter do you thank have you all three so, i literally i'm the same thing on all three i make it uniform Perfect. across the board for every single social media app i am mr j washington m-r-j-a-y you should know how to spell washington i'm everywhere <laughs> beautiful well thank you so much enjoy doing laundry and have a great drive to san diego thank you thank you so much for listening to another episode of bts podcast again you can watch this conversation on youtube just look me up Lene cook you can also look up bts podcast jay washington follow jay on the social medias you heard about how it impacts comedians careers and actors in general to be honest so feel free to follow me as well links to both of our Links to both of our socials are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And again, if you want to support this podcast, you can do that at anchor.fm slash BTS podcast at just 99 cents a month. 
there's so many things that are more expensive than that a pack of gum is more expensive than that anyways you can do that or you can passively support by subscribing rating reviewing following on instagram and twitter at bts the podcast you can also follow me at Lene cook um it's very different content than the podcast content also look at the show notes there's always promo codes for services i love one of them is hotel tonight great hotel stays at very reasonable prices if you use my promo code lcook61 you'll save on your hotel booking through hotel tonight you can also sign up for rakuten which i swear by and recommend to everybody it's a chrome extension and an app and you get cash back on a ton of purchases whether you're booking something on expedia which gives you two percent cash back which can really add up if you're booking a vacation or a mattress or finish line macy's nordstrom stan stocks whatever you can get cash back on a ton of purchases. Thank you so much for listening. It's really appreciated. If you want to hear more conversations with comedians, if you go back into the episodes very early on, you can find an episode with Jessica, Michelle, Singleton. We had a great time talking. Um, And then I also just recommend you listen to comedy podcasts. Hers are great. You can find other good comedy podcasts thanks to Mike Birbiglia. Nicole Byer is amazing. I love Lacey Mosley's podcast, Scam Goddess. It's amazing. Um, There's lots of ways to support comedians, especially following them across socials and going to their shows. Thanks again for listening.